Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. What's up, Freedom House? Y'all look good. Can we give Jesus just a big hand clap today? Come on. Aren't you glad to be in church today? Look at your neighbor. Say, you look really good today. You look really good, really good. Smell good too. Come on. I love the 1215 service. Y'all are my favorite. Don't tell the others. Um, you're my favorite. Hey, a couple quick things before we get involved in this. My name is Troy Maxwell. If I hadn't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, my wife and I are the senior pastors here. We are one church, multiple locations. Um, we got locations south in Lake Norman. And speaking of Lake Norman, check this out. This week, we just acquired a permanent facility for that campus. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that great? Very, very good. And so that's because of your generosity, and, and, uh, and we'll continue to, to talk about that. Um, we, we, uh, we, we're leasing the building, purchase later. Uh, we're going to upfit it over the next few months, so probably in the next eight to nine months, we'll be in that facility um, right off of exit 28, very exciting about that in Cornelius. And um, don't forget online as well. Speaking of all of those different things, we do have a change that affects you. Okay, so we do have some service changes. If you haven't been around for a little while, some of you thought it was last week and maybe even thought it was this week and got here at 1130. Um, but we actually have some new service times that start, say it with me, 9th and 10th. Look at your neighbor, say 9th and 10th. Look at your neighbor, 9th and Look at your other neighbor, 9th and 10th. Okay, my understanding that that would be next weekend. The thing I've learned about pastoring is Sunday comes around every seven days. Every seven days. It's kind of like your mortgage. Every 30 days, they just seem to send you the bill at the same time. They never are late, are they? Uh, uh, so our central campus, which is the campus you're at, in case you're just here by accident, uh, we have a Saturday night service. So if you'd like to be a real Christian and come before... Sunday, this is level three Christianity right here. Sunday's level one. This is level three. This is like, I think it's Sunday, but it's really Saturday. We have a 5 p.m. service, amazing service. It's called Saturday with a little extra. We have a little more preaching, a little more um, worship, extra song, that kind of stuff. However, Sunday, that's today, a week from today, pretty, I'll be pretty much done like in this service if you show up right now. So, we have a 9.30 a.m. service and an 11.15 a.m. service. So, if, if that's, this is really involves you guys, which means that you might have to get up a little bit earlier to make it to church. It's all right. Hey, listen, it's all right. It's just like having an extra hour or so in your life that you're not sleeping away. So, I get up at 5.30 on Sundays, just get up a little bit early, 11.15 a.m., or you can come to the 9.30. Think about what you could do with the rest of your day by coming to the 9.30 a.m. service. Lake Norman, um, yeah, you could serve one, worship one. You got all kinds of opportunities there. Our Lake Norman campus, we're moving everything back 15 minutes. The reason why we're doing this is we're trying to get some cohesion, alignment between all of our campuses. South End, not changing, 9.15, 10.45, online. Okay, so if you're traveling, don't forget, we always have the opportunity for you to join us live online, and so we're moving it back to the two services to mimic our Sunday morning here, 9.30 and 11.15, so if you're ever traveling, you can always join us with that. Awesome. We're starting a new series today called 
papyrus, papyrus, and a great series is going to continue all the way through the um, end of February. How many of you know that, that if you have the right equipment, you'll be successful? I mean, if you have the right equipment, think about this for a second. You could dig a hole with a spoon, couldn't you? Probably wouldn't be the best way to do it. It would take you a very long time. You could go in the woods with a butter knife to try to cut down a tree. You could do it, but the equipment does matter. You could try to fly across the Atlantic Ocean with a hang glider. Don't suggest it. Probably won't get very far. You could run a marathon, but you would never do it with flip-flops on. It would be a great event, but typically they don't do it with flip-flops on. I have heard that they do some races with high heels on. Um, however, I don't think you should run a marathon in high heels. The right equipment is extremely important and will determine your success or failure in whatever you do. I was, uh, I was a youth pastor before I started this church. I was a youth pastor for seven years, and my youth group was very interesting I had a lot of hard kids, kids that grew up in, the, in rough areas of Richmond, Virginia. And for some reason, God always encouraged me as the youth leader, as the youth pastor, to pick out the toughest kid and try to help him. And most of these kids didn't have dads. Um, they grew up in really hard families, very poor, all that, all that stuff. And so I had learned a lot of stuff from my grandfather, and he taught me some things. And so there was one particular kid by the name of Charles. And Charles was, about, Charles was about 13, 14 years old when I met him, and he was about 6'1", 6'2", at 13 or 14 years old, and I was a little afraid of him. Just, I didn't tell him, never told him, but I was afraid. I, didn't, I wasn't afraid he was going to beat me up or something. I thought he may shoot me or something like that. I really didn't know much about him. I knew his mom. I knew his mom was really struggling. He used to get in fights and all this stuff, and so a lot of these kids I would invite over to my house and meet my family. I don't know if it was wise. I did it. Um, I would block things up just in case. But one particular day, I was going to change the oil in my car. And my grandfather taught me how to change the oil. So I'm going to teach this kid how to change the oil. So I take my car, put it up on the ramps. This is back before Jiffy Lube Day. How many of y'all change your oil now in your own car? About a few of you. Not many people. It's actually cheaper to do a Jiffy Lube. And so, but I did it back then because they didn't have those things. So I pull it up. I get underneath the car, you know, and I'm going to unscrew the bolt that lets all the oil out of the car. And so Charles is with me, and I go, hey, Charles, get me a crescent wrench. Crescent wrench. Give me a crescent wrench. I, I, I'm looking, and I'm under the car looking up through, but I can see his feet running around back and forth around the front of the car. I don't hear anything. Charles does not say anything. I said, Charles, wait about maybe 30 seconds. Charles, hey, man, can you get me a crescent wrench? I see his feet, and I heard jingling in my toolbox. And, and, and then I'll see this little head poke underneath my car, and he goes, Hey, Troy, I don't know what a crescent wrench is. I don't even know what a wrench is. So I slide back up underneath from underneath the car. I go to my toolbox, and I start putting all the tools out. And I say, Well, this is a screwdriver. And he goes, Oh, I never knew that. I thought maybe this is just something you stab people with. <laughs> I showed him what a crescent wrench is. I showed him what a ratchet set is. I showed him what a pair of pliers. This kid had absolutely no idea what a tool was. See, oftentimes in Christianity, we don't even realize that God has given us the equipment we need for our successful life. And one of the greatest things that he's given us is the word of God. He's given us this manual, this book called the Bible. Now, what I'm not going to do today is I'm not going to try to prove to you that the, that the Word of God is real. That's a whole series in itself. 
But what I am going to do is I'm going to challenge you. I, I say it this way. I dare you to believe God's word. I'm going to dare you. Now, we live in a culture where there's a, quite a bit of an attack on the word of God. Now, if you think that that's something that's new, it's actually not. There's been an attack on the word for a long time. We're seeing it right now in our culture with different laws and everything that are changing in the United States that are an outright attack on the word of God. And one of the things that we have to understand from the standpoint of who we are as Freedom House is we are a word church. We believe in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. We don't pull out little pieces and parts that we like and we don't like. We, we, don't, we actually take it at its word. We look at it. We want to view it as it reflects who we are back to us. The word of God can change you forever. I mean, it can literally infect you and, and, and you can become infatuated with it to the point where you will never, ever really go anywhere else to find your foundation. Nothing wrong with good preaching. How many of y'all like good, some good preaching? How many of y'all like some good worship, good worship? How many of y'all like a good church? Come on, like a good church. But that is not meant to be the foundation of our life. Jesus even told us in Matthew chapter 7 that if you're going to build something, build it on the rock, which is his word, which is his strength. And we as followers of God, we need to recognize that we need to build our life on the foundation of the word. So here, look at me, look at me for a second. I want you to get a note sheet out because I want you to write some notes down because I'm going to cover a lot of stuff today. I'm going to teach you today on the power of the word of God, the foundation of the word of God. And it's important that you take some notes because I'm going to cover a lot of stuff today. And if you want to watch this later, you can go online and, and check out our um, on freedomhouse.cc and, and look at this message later because I'm going to say a lot of things and, and you got to write them down and, and do the best you can to, to follow along. Now, here's what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. You may know this verse. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, we know G Jesus is talking about who here? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the devil, the devil, the bad old devil, Satan. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. Jesus, however, says, I have come that you may have life, and that life may have it more, say it with me, abundantly. In other words, he wants you to live an abundant life. Now, here's the thing about the devil. Follow me here. The devil cannot steal your salvation. He can't take your salvation away from you. You believed your way in. He cannot steal your belief. Let me, let me say it another way. Let me say, and I believe this. You can't sin your way out of heaven. You can't. A lot of people say, well, can you lose your salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation like losing a set of keys or something like that. Here's, here's what the Bible is very clear about. You believe your way in. You can believe your way out. That's the way you get in. See, if you could sin your way out of the kingdom of God, then you could do enough good to get into the kingdom of God. So if you can't do enough good to get into the kingdom of God, then you can't do enough bad to get out of it. Now, now, time out, time out. Now, I'm not saying you can do whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. You can say, oh, yeah, Jesus, hallelujah, I'm glad I came to church today. Bam, I'm set free. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. No, there are limitations, and God wants you to live a life. Matter of fact, what sin does... Missing the mark, what sin does actually taints our heart to the point where we become hard-hearted because of our independence. That's what sin is. Sin, like Adam and Eve, I don't need God, 
And the more that you participate in sin, a lifestyle of sin, I'm not talking about every now and then you may make a mistake or something like that. I'm talking about a lifestyle of not adhering to the word of God. What you're saying is, God, I do not believe that you are for me. So, in essence, you can believe your way out. That's called unbelief. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, here's the thing the devil can do. The devil can cause you to live a less than life. So if Jesus said that he gives us an abundant life, the thief is going to do everything he can to steal and to kill and to destroy what that abundant life means. So he's going to tempt you to not believe that the word says what it says. He's going to tempt you to try to put God in a box and say, well, God only operates here and he only does this and, and, and he, he, he doesn't really love you. Matter of fact, he's sitting up and this is what religion does. He's sitting up on, the, on his throne with a little staff in his hand waiting to whack you upside the head the moment that you make a mistake. That's not grace. That's, that has nothing to do with grace. I don't know about you, but when my kids make, made a mistake and, and I had to spank them, it wasn't very easy to spank them. Sometimes it was really, really hard. And so, so when it comes to, to God's relationship with us, the devil would love to, for you and I to live a less than life. A less than life is a captive life. Captive in your past, imprisoned by your past. A less than life is a paralyzed life. A paralyzed life is a life of indecision. I don't know if I should marry her. I don't know if I should marry him. I don't know if I should take this job. I don't know if I should move to this city. I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should do this. That's, an, that's, an, that's a paralyzed life. You're like, I don't, know, I don't know if I should go forward. I should go backwards. A less than life is a misinformed life. A life that, that you just don't have all the information that you need, all the revelation that you need. A less than life is an imprisoned life, imprisoned by guilt and shame. One way he does this is by diminishing, weakening, lessening the word of God. He would love for you to take the cultural stance of the word of God is irrelevant to me in the 21st century. I think we need a rewrite. We need a new edition of the Bible. Because you know what, God, you're just kind of out of touch. Like the things that you say in there, they, only, they, they could fit in the first, second, third, maybe, maybe the, the, the thousands or the 1100s or the 1200s. But right now, 21st century, I mean, anybody should be able to marry whatever they want. I mean, anybody should be able to kill a baby whenever they want to. It's their choice. So culturally, let's remove all the power out of the word of God. And let's say we need to do a re-edition of this. That's exactly would what, what the enemy would want you to do, to only be a part of it. You know, when, when God, when, when the devil tempted Jesus, he only quoted part of the verse because the devil can never complete a verse because it would defeat him. He will always give you a piece of the word because the devil knows the word. And so Jesus's response was always a completion of the word. That's why he came to fulfill the law, not in part, but in full. So he'll always give you a little piece. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. The devil knows the Bible. The Bible says even demons believe in God. They tremble, but they believe in God. So don't think just because you believe in God, you have some kind of strength. No, the truth comes when we take the word at its wholeness. This is why Paul told Timothy, I'm sorry, look, look what Jesus said this. 
In, in John chapter 8, verse 31, I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, to the Jews who had believed, Jesus said. Now, he's having this conversation. Jesus is having this conversation with, with a bunch of religious people. They're all on the outside, and they're wanting to kill him and you know, cut, cut him up with their words. But there's a group of Jewish guys that are following him, and he, he, he says to them, hey, listen, I got something you want to know. And by the way, this, this is where we get the name Freedom House Church from. It's from this verse. If you hold to, everybody say hold to, my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now, notice what happens. Notice the transition. You go from a believer to a disciple by holding to the Bible. Now, I'm going to talk about this. Believe, disciple. A lot of people believe. You go to lunch today, after church, you go around the restaurant, interview people. Do you believe the Bible? Nine out of ten. Oh, yeah, absolutely, I believe. Do you believe in God? Oh, absolutely, I believe. Now, if you asked them if they were a disciple, if you were explained to them it means to hold to the teachings of God, do the whole word, I don't know if I really believe the Bible. There's some things I kind of disagree with. See, Jesus is saying if you want to go from believership to discipleship, it comes with your relationship to the word. If you want to go from believership, let me say it another way. If you want to go from Jesus as your Savior to Jesus as your Lord, it has to do with your relationship with the Word. A lot of us have Jesus as our Savior. Jesus saved me from hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't like hell. Jesus saved me from hell. But not many of us have him as our Lord. Big difference there. Lordship and Savior, two different levels of walking with God. Lordship is I'm not sitting in the front seat directing God on how to drive me around my life. Lordship is I'm in the trunk, and I can't say anything. He's in control. A lot of amens in this Lutheran church this morning. <laughs> if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you will know. This word means intimate knowledge of. You shall Know the truth, and the truth, understood, that you know, will set you free. It's not just truth will set you free. It's the truth that you have a relationship with that will set you free. So, your walk with God is dependent upon your relationship with the Word of God. Now, what does this word hold to mean? Some of your Bibles that you have out, maybe you're looking at it, say abide in. The word hold to is a very interesting word. It means to adhere to. It means to connect with. It means to be inseparable from. It's the same idea of a marriage relationship. Marriage relationship. When the husband and wife come together, they become one. They're no longer two. Now they're one. How many of y'all had a cup of coffee this morning? Raise your hand if you had a cup of coffee. How many of y'all like a little cream in your coffee? I like a little cream in there. Now notice when you put the cream in there, you couldn't... Now you can no longer separate the cream from the coffee. They have become one. That's exactly what he's talking about here. In other words, we can't say, well, that's the Bible, and this is my life, or two separate things. If we want to be a disciple, they have to be one in the same. Let me say it another way. I, 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 this Bible right here, this is one of my favorite Bibles. I've had this Bible for many years. I like to write in the Bible. Y'all like to write in your Bible? Mark it up. 
like to write stuff in it, like to put highlights in it, write stuff, mark it all up. The truth, but, but the, the power is not in whether I'm marking the Bible. The power is whether the Bible is marking me. That's the key. And that's the difference between a believer and a disciple. A believer marks their Bible. A disciple is marked by the word. That's a whole different level of relationship. So we must put a high value. Must. Must. It's an imperative. We must put a high value on God's word. He's given us the equipment. Let's learn what it is. Let's take that equipment. Let's learn what a wrench is and a screwdriver and a ratchet set so we can know the life that we can be determined to live. And in order to do that, when we put that high value on it, we won't won't be steered off of that. And this is where Paul tells Timothy something extremely important. And he said this back in 66 AD. Okay, this is the first century. As I read this verse, tell me if it doesn't sound exactly like today. Paul says to Timothy, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. You could could put word of God right there, truth of God. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I'm just going to listen to what I hear. I'm just going to go from church to church until I find somebody that says what I want them to say. That's what happens all the time. We love the bless me, bless me. When, when it comes change me, change me, whoa, hold on a second. I like who I am. I, I, I want to stay the same. God doesn't want you to stay the same. Matter of fact, he loves you enough to not keep you the same. And so if you feel that little bit of pressure when you're sitting in the congregation, it's because God's trying to work on you. He's trying to help you. Help me, too. They, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths or stories in order to satisfy them. So, so what I want to do is I want to kind of break down a verse that helps me, has helped me over the last few years. When I, when I, became, when I became a Christian, um, this, I fell in love with the Bible. I can't explain it. I'd read it a few times, you know, not front to back, but, and I didn't really understand that much of it to be honest with you. But when I started to discover the word, oh my gosh, it changed everything about me. It, ch- it changed my view of God. And this verse helped me do that, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. So I'm going to break this down, and I want you to write, I've got three things that I want to tell you about the word of God. Three things about it is written, papyrus. Start verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful. Everybody say living and powerful. Now, th- this, is, this is really important before I go any farther because living actually means alive. It's the Greek word zoe. H- have you ever been reading the Bible and then all of a sudden something that you've read over and over and over again, you go, oh my gosh, I see what it means now. The word of God is like an onion. Every time you peel back another layer, you see more and more. Why, why is that? Because it's more than just words on a page. It's actually alive. This book that we have is breathing. It's alive. It's constantly evaluating and, and triggering. It's, it's growing and, and learning. It's kind of like I've been married 27 years. 27 years. I'm still learning things about my wife. I mean, every day. 
day after day after day. I mean, I would love to just, wouldn't it have been great, guys? Think about this. If before we got married, we just had a nice little book that had all of the stuff in there about them, all the little idiosyncrasies and, and what they did at night and why they did it. And what words and phrases actually meant. Not what they said, but the meaning behind it. I realized a long time, long time ago, that marriage wasn't given to make me happy. Marriage was given so I would grow up. I mean, I'm just being honest. I love my wife, but I'm learning every day, every day. I'll probably learn something today about her that I never knew. 27 years. We've been together almost 30. And I'm still, I'll go, I've never seen that before. Never seen that before. Anyway, maybe that's just me. Honey, pray for me. Pray for your pastor. For the word of God is living and powerful. This word powerful, it means effective or it's always working. This is great about the word because when the word continues to work, that means we don't have to. We, we can kind of pull back and the word will continue to do. And sharper than any, say this with me, two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13. And there is no creature hidden, not even cats, from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, three things. You ready? Three things. First of all, the word of God is powerful. Notice that in verse 12, it called it a, the Bible calls the word a two-edged sword. Now, if you read the New Testament, Matthew to Revelation, the word sword shows up often in Scripture. And it's, it's, symbol, it's, it's a symbolism of something, a metaphorical thing. You see it in the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. Notice, th th this is John on the Isle of Patmos, and he, and he comes into contact with Jesus. Not the Jesus of Nazareth that was walking around healing people. No, this is, this is the, the resurrected have been in heaven, Jesus. He's got white hair like wool, eyes like a flame of fire. And it says he had in his right hand seven stars. Notice this. Out of his mouth. What? His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Time, hold time out. Why his mouth? I mean, what? I mean, last time I watched a movie and they had swords, they were not in their mouth. They were in their hand or on their side. Why their mouth? We'll see in a second. And his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. For you and I. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that we're given this armor as Christians. It says we get, this, we get, we get shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, feet with, girded with truth, and we got a belt of truth. And it says to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, here's the interesting thing. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says that it's a two-edged sword. The, it's the weirdest word in the New Testament, two-edged. Weird. Just look it up. Remember the Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, translated into English. The word two-edged is the Greek word di-stomos, D-I-S-T-O-M-O-S. Di-stomos. Two different Greek words put together. Di meaning two, stomos meaning mouthed. What? A two-mouthed sword. Okay, I did some digging for you. We get, you know, st stomos is where we get words like stammer from. 
Why a two-mouthed sword? I understand the idea of two-edged sword, but why, why would he use the word two-mouthed? Well, let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, you're going through something. You're going through a challenge. You're dealing with a circumstance. A crisis has hit your life, and you've been praying and seeking God and seeking God and seeking God, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you get a word from God. God speaks to you. Maybe he speaks to you in a message. Maybe he speaks to you in his word. Maybe he speaks to you from a friend. Maybe in prayer, he just lights something on the inside. You get it fired up and be man, I got it. Crisis over here, God's word's going to defeat it. Boom, I'm ready to go. And you get so fired up about it that that word goes from your heart and you start speaking that word out of your mouth. Two mouth, diastomos, God's mouth, your mouth, two sides of the sword. So when you speak God's word over your situation, now you have a, mouth, a sword in your mouth that is your only form of offensive weapon against the enemy. And it comes because of what comes out of your mouth. So when God's word becomes your word, you are undefeatable. Undefeatable. You can't lose. So here's what Jesus said. He, gives us, he tells us exactly what to do. Look at Mark 11. So Jesus answered. He's telling, talking to his disciples. He, he answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. The literal translation of that phrase is have the faith of God. What kind of faith does God have? Good question. God has the kind of faith that when he says, let there be light, there is light. God, God has the kind of faith that says, let there be a chicken, and there's a chicken. Buck, buck. God, God has the kind of faith that says, let there be a tree, boom, there's a tree. God says, let there, be, let there be the moon and the sun and the stars, boom, there's moon, sun, and stars. That's the kind of faith that we have. So he goes on to say, look at the emphasis of what Jesus tells us, how to use our faith, how to wield our sword. He says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. You can't wish it away. You can't think it away. You can't hope it away. You got to say it away. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Two mouths. Two-edged sword coming out of your mouth. The word of God's powerful. When God's word becomes your word, unstoppable. Unstoppable. Come on, that's good stuff right there. Very good stuff. Here's the second thing. It gets gooder. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it gets gooder. God's word is God's will. Now, this is the challenge as a pastor I see most in people's lives. They come to me, how do I know God's will for my life? How do, how do I know God's purpose for my life? What, what, do I, what do I need to do to find out what my next step is? And, and, and marriage and, and ministry and jobs and, and purpose and all of these different things all work together. Well, I'm going to give you a hint today. God's word is God's will. God's word is God's will. Notice, notice the second half of verse 12. It talks about living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Then it says, piercing 
even, follow this, even to the division of soul and spirit, immaterial, unseen. Can't see your soul, can't see your spirit, right? You can't see your spirit. Hello, y'all still there? Not your question. Not your question. Division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Can you see joints and marrow? Absolutely. So God's word pierces dividing the unseen and the seen. And is a discerner or judger or decider of the thoughts, my thoughts, and the motives of my heart. This is describing that the word will adjust God's will in our life. Let us know. Oh, that's, that's not the right thought. That's not the right motive. When we allow the word to come in, it pierces even to the unseen, the seen, and the thoughts and intents of my life. Now, there's two parts to God's will. Follow me here. Two parts. The will of God has two parts. Everybody say two parts. The first part is the revealed will of God. This is the book. This right here. Here's the revealed will of God. All the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all this great, all these great words in this book, all phenomenal words. This is the primary way God communicates to you. Primary way. Now, we, we don't necessarily follow. This is why it's so important to spend time in this book. It's not just run to it when, when their crisis happens. No. Keep developing your life in it all the time. So that you're familiar with God when you need him. You become familiar. Because he speaks to us all the time through his word. All the time. It's the reveal. It also provides some morality for us. We don't have our own standard of living. We have a standard of living called the word of God. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. What you think? You say, yeah, but it's pretty tight. I'd like to do some stuff that he tells me not to do. Why, why do I have to live by this? Because he wants to protect you. He wants to protect you financially. He wants to protect you in your relationships. All of that is meant for your protection, not to inhibit your happiness. No, he wants to help you and guide your life. The revealed will of God. Revealed will of God. Also, there's sovereign things in this book, too. Things that God has said that you can't change. That's going to happen regardless. It's already been set in motion since before the foundations of the earth. That's the prophetic word of God. Things that are going to happen. Now, the second part, and this is the part we like, and this is the part we want, is the personal will of God. This is what we all want to know. I want to know it. You want to know it. So how do I find the personal? This is my purpose in life. Now, let me just say this. Everybody look at me. Look at me. You'll never know this until you're submitted to this. Very important. We want this, but we want to throw this out. I want a relationship. I want a marriage, but I want to do it my way. And God says, no, 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 no. I, I've got the best way, and I want to help you with that way. I, I, want, I want to guide you in your decision making. That's why I'm a discerner. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. That's why it pierces even to soul and spirit, divides even our soul and our spirit, separates us out, divides us out, disconnects us, discombobulates us in order so we can be led by the spirit of God. So if we want the personal will of God, we've got to submit ourselves to the revealed will of God. Here, here's another way to say it. I'll say it this way. 
And I want us all to read this verse together. This is Psalm 119, 105. You probably know this verse. Ready? One, two, three. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, I don't know if you know us, notice, but the revealed will of God and the personal will of God is right in this verse right here. here here's the lamp. It's a lamp to my... Okay, whose feet are those right there? These are my feet. No, no trick question. These aren't your feet. That'd be weird. These are my feet. What is the lamp, the word, the revealed will of God meant to do? To reveal my feet. I'm in control of these feet. Nobody else is. Who's responsible for these feet? Me. The lamp helps me see my feet. My responsibility. Revealed will of God. Now, when I hold the lamp... What else does it light upon? The path. I'm not responsible for the path. Who's responsible for the path? God is. I'm responsible for my feet. As long as I hold the lamp, not only am I going to see my feet, but I'm also going to see the path. If I put the lamp down, what happens? I no longer can see the path. So we can't have one without the other. We, if we, if we, we got to hold the lamp. The lamp is where we get the light from. But what oftentimes happens to us is we want the path without the lamp. We, we, want, we want the personal will of God. I want, I want your purpose for my life, God, but I want to do it my way. God says, no, no, no. Your word is a lamp to my feet. I see my feet. Man, these are some dirty feet. It's a light unto my path. As long as I hold the revealed will of God, I know exactly where I need to go in order to be led by God. You follow me? Follow me? Looking for your purpose. This is where it starts, right here. Good preaching out there. Great worship, great teachers, great ministry. You're, you're going to find your purpose right here. Start here in the word of God. All right, here's the last one. The last one is God word, God's word investigates us. Investigates us. Now, I'll be honest. This is the one we like the least. Because this is the one where it gets in our business. Look at verse 13 again. And I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible. It says, he knows about, will you say these three words with me? Ready? Everyone, everywhere, everything. Wow. So, God knows about everyone Everywhere, everything about us is bare and open wide to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. How? Through the Word of God. This is all in context of the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, discerner. It, it judges our intents, our thoughts. And He, God, the Word, knows about everyone, everywhere, everything. He, he sees everything. He, he, we're wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done. One day we're going to stand before God and we have to give an account of everything we've done. But here's the thing, here's the thing. This is where I want to finish today. The word investigates us. So, we know God through the word. We get to know him and he knows us through the word. We know him, and he knows us. 
We get to know him. We get to know his ways, how he is, how he thinks, how he talks, the nature of his character, how he loves, how he gives grace. But also, as we get to know him, he gets to know us. He investigates our heart. The Bible calls the, Bible calls the word a mirror that stands before us. So we're revealed. And every day we're learning more about God. But the more we learn about God, we learn about ourselves. Now Jesus gives a, a pretty scary verse in Matthew chapter 7. But don't be nervous. Okay? This is, this is a tough verse. Verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. Who, he who does the word God gave us. Then he says this. Watch this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now look, look here. It doesn't say they tried to prophesy and didn't do it. It doesn't say they tried to cast out demons and didn't do it. It doesn't say that they tried to do many wonders. No, no. They said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We, we cast out demons in your name. We did wonders in your name. And Jesus said, I don't know you. Listen to me. Listen, listen. This is very important. I don't want to just, I, I just don't want to do for God. I don't want to be used by God. I want to be known by God. Listen, you, you, you use paper plates. You use toilet paper. You use paper towels. I, I don't want to be just used by God. I want to be known by God. The word of God investigates us. It makes us known to the Father. Why don't you stand up on your feet with me? We're going to pray together. We're going to do exactly what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. If you're here today and you don't know God, you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, you confess your way right in. You, can, you believe your way in. The way you express your belief is through what you say out of your mouth. He who ever says, who says, we have to speak this word on a constant basis. Not just think it, but speak it. We can't get away with using the sword that God gave us. Some of you here today, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never made a decision to submit yourself. You've never made a decision to pick up the word of God as your lamp. And go, hey, God, I want to see my feet. I want to know the direction of my life. Would you light my path? It starts with humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves to the word of God, submitting ourselves to Jesus, the incredible Savior that he is. Maybe you knew God at one time, but you fell away from him. Look, it's easy. It's very easy to, to just step away. It's very easy just to walk away and Ever so slightly, just little by little, the steps of compromise can pull us away. But I want you to know that God is waiting, anticipating, and in an expectation to welcome you right back into the family of God. Look, you're not called to a church. You're not called to a life group. You're not called to ministry. You're called to a family. 
starts with a family. And we want you to be a part of this family, the family of God. So if you're here today, why don't you just bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you say, that's me, Troy. That, that, I, I want to start this relationship with God. I, I want to I rededicate, recommit my life. I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, would you just put your hand on your heart? Just right where you are. Just put your hand right on your heart. You ready? One, two, three. Just put your hand right on your heart. All over the room. Thank you, Lord. Those of you that did that and and church family, would you just join them as we make this confession, as we say out of our mouth, we're going to use the word to direct our our steps, to lead us. Just say this with me all across this room. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins and all my mistakes. Today, I give you my life, Jesus. I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to be my Lord. I want to believe and be a disciple in Jesus' name. I'll serve you, and I'll worship you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.